0: he ends up driving a truck. You know, he said it only took about six months for that entrepreneurial business guy to kick in and go, okay, wait a minute. First of all, all I have to do is back in this dock. I just back in the dock and you pay me. So he bought a truck like six or seven months in, but he saw the business. He just sees deliver loads, make money. And he says the the trucking is the easiest business he's ever been in, comes with his challenges, but if you'll run a trucking business like you would run any other business what the the profits are there's no ceiling but if you run a trucking business the way about 90% of the trucking business runs a trucking business you're going to have heartache failure bankruptcy repossession divorce and you know and it will be a it will destroy you
1: And now, Tony, we welcome in podcasting royalty, truck podcasting royalty. It's a real honor, Chris Pulp, to have you join us today from Blue Ribbon Podcast. Thank you, sir. Appreciate y'all having me. You bet. So typically we do the old boring intro, which uh, I'll cover quickly. It's not boring in your case. Uh, Started trucking in 97, uh, made the jump to lease operator sometime in the early 2000s. Uh, Then you uh, became fleet manager for Blue Ribbon, uh, where you oversee operations and maintenance for trucks and the fleet and mentoring customers. Uh, You play a lot of musical instruments. I'd love to talk to you about that uh, later as well. And you and your lovely family reside in the great state of West Virginia, just across the mountains uh, from myself. But uh, Chris, I like to uh, introduce people by uh, quoting them. And you tell me if this sounds familiar, and then I want your comment on it. Hear me clearly. If you fail in business, guess whose fault it is? Yours. It's not corporate's fault, not agency's fault, not the government's fault. It's nobody's fault. So if you can man up enough and be mature enough to say it, I tried it. It didn't work. And the common denominator is me and my actions. I failed, and now I'm going to have to figure out what to do something differently so I don't fail again. Does that sound familiar, Chris? It
0: does sound familiar. I think I've I think I've heard that guy before. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not that that sums up everything, Chris, about you and your philosophy, but uh, uh, Tony and I really appreciate the way you you tell it as it is in the trucking business.
2: All right, Chris. Uh, first of all, I'd like just to, for you to take a few minutes. Tell us a little bit about you and, uh, you know, why do you get into why podcasting?
0: so I I used, you know, the, the, the truckers, um, the truckers connection was always the radio. And and back in the day, it was AM radio. And then this miracle happened around 2004, we got satellite radio. And, um, I, I started listening to a show out of Alabama called Rick and Bubba. And it was basically five guys. They're just buddies and they do this show and they just have a good time. And they're just talking. And so I had this kind of fascination with radio and at the same time, I recognized podcasting is the ultimate free speech. It's the ultimate, um, way to provide value to someone at no cost, you know? And so there came a point where I believed that the only way I was going to increase my income as a truck driver was to own a truck. I don't believe that anymore, but At that time, I did. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, well, I've got to be an owner-operator. How do I do this? And I researched all I could, and I talked to everybody I could, and I ended up leasing a truck. And I found that, boy, if I would have known that before, this would be that much easier. So I go through until I end up at Landstar, and uh, it was 2015, I believe, and I said, okay, I've got some experience and having walked through some of these doors that I had to kick open because there was nobody saying, Oh, well, here's how you do it. And I thought, okay, well I'll do this. So I've literally Googled, how do you podcast? And I figured out how to record an audio file, upload it to a website, get it syndicated to iTunes and the American truck driver podcast was born. I did it, you know, which I learned really hard that working full time and doing a podcast uh, it's hard, it's difficult, and you forget. And then you, you're driving down the road and you have all these great ideas and you don't write them down and you forget about it. And then it's time, to, it's time to podcast. You And you hit record and you just sit there and you stare at the microphone and you have nothing to say. So my, my podcasting was very, very sporadic. And then, but I did chronicle the ups and downs from when I started and how I started and how I was doing. And then when I failed in 2017, my business failed. And I did a few more episodes throughout that time and I explained what had happened. And when I met Larry, um, you know, my life turned, uh, pretty hard, you know, one way. And, and I got to the point where he's such an amazing storyteller and he's got this unbelievable history of all the different things that he's done. And when I first came to him, he and I were lonely drivers. We'd get on the phone and talk for hours and hours and hours and (laughs) hours. And I thought, somebody's got to hear these stories because I'm, I'm as much educated as I am entertained. Well, that's podcasting education Mm -hmm. and entertainment. So I finally cajoled him into let's record a podcast and let's tell your story. And the first time we tried to do it, he was in Laredo in a thunderstorm that didn't work. And we tried (laughs) it again. So finally we got this thing recorded and I'm like, okay, there it was. And he always says he was never, he, he had never listened to a podcast until he was on one. And so we record that one and we're like, okay, well, that wasn't hard. So let's do another one. And I think we did one on fuel taxes or what, you know, a couple of hot topics. Well, all of a sudden the phone starts ringing with really good drivers who were interested in learning what we had to teach. And so my, my desire in the beginning with podcasting was to teach. And at least give someone a leg up or a step ahead if they wanted to try to come down this owner-operator path. And then it became the best recruiting tool that we could have ever developed. And, of course, we weren't smart enough to to re- even realize that until the phone started ringing. We're like, holy crap. This is a recruiting yeah. tool and, and has been. And, you know, and so we refined it over time until here we are today.
2: So where did Larry come from?
0: Lord have mercy. Uh, Well, they broke the mold um, on that one. Larry's from Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky. His dad was a parts manager at a Chevrolet dealership. Maybe it's Pontiac dealership. Uh, He's real specific about that stuff. And uh, so naturally, Larry went to work for the parts department. Well, in the late 70s, early 80s, he made a name for himself uh, going in and fixing Uh, parts, service, and body shops in the late 70s and early 80s when we had high inflation and nobody was buying new cars. And so you had these dealership uh, managers that were looking at this thing that they were required to have, but they didn't know anything about, parts, service, and body shop. Well, now they got to figure out how to make it money. Mm -hmm. So Larry was the fixer, would would bounce around from dealership to dealership, going in and making their parts, service, and body shop profitable. At the same time, he is chasing his passion of photography and over 30 years, grew himself into, you know, one of the the, mo- the highest paid and biggest photographers in the state of Kentucky. And his mother uh, had always worked in a dry cleaner. And so at one point, he opened a dry cleaner for her, which ended up being four locations. So he has this incredibly rich history in business since 1977. Mm-hmm. When he retires from photography and is sitting around with nothing better to do, he ends up driving a truck. And... You know, he said it only took about six months for that entrepreneurial business guy to stick in it to kick in and go, okay, wait a minute. First of all, all I have to do is back in this dock and deliver load and you'll pay me. I don't have to have yellow pages ads. I don't have to do marketing. I don't have to do cold calls. I just back in the dock and you pay me. And of course they're like, Well, yes, that's absolutely how this happened. So he bought a truck like six or seven months in. We still have that truck. Um, but he saw the business where I'm old school trucker you know mm-hmm. chrome and big hoods he couldn't give a shit less about any of that stuff he don't care about mm-hmm. chrome he don't care about you, you know the history Smokey and the bandit he couldn't care less he just sees deliver loads make money and he says th- the trucking is the easiest business he's ever been in comes with his challenges but if you'll run a trucking business like you would run any other business what the, the profits are, there's no ceiling. But if you run a trucking business the way about 90% of the trucking business runs a trucking business, you're going to have heartache, failure, bankruptcy, repossession, divorce, and, you know, and it will be a It will destroy you. So his passion for business, and he has the heart of a teacher. He, he don't need to do this. He's made his money in his life. He's set almost 70 years old, um, but he does this because he wants to, he wants to, he loves to watch the growth. It's almost like raising kids. He mm-hmm. loves to watch that growth and, and how people when they get it and then they turn around and they start acting like business people. I mean, that, that's, that's his absolute passion. And, and it is mine too. Um, but that's kind of where that's the both of us converged. He was so frustrated with truck drivers. Um, when I came along, he was getting ready to sell it all and quit. He was like, "The hell with this! I'm I'm done dealing with these idiots mm-hmm. and these morons and these people that they don't want to learn anything, they don't want to listen. They're narcissistic, self centered, spoiled brats. I'm out." And then I came along and reinvigorated his desire, and we, you know, we we kind of picked everything back up and, and started building.
2: Well, Chris, let me tell you, I've listened to several of y'all's podcast. I like the combination of the two of you guys and how you guys do blend well together. And I'll tell you, the thing I like the most is the passion. Uh, y- you don't care what the hell the people are on the other end, who they are. You're going to tell them exactly how it is. And you're right. You can make a lot of money moving trucks. I mean, one of the podcasts I listen to from you guys is, you know, you, you talk about making a half a million dollars a year off a truck. A half a million a year. Now, I, when I heard that, I stopped, I rewinded it, and I re-listened to about three minutes going, did I just, did I hear this right? A half a million dollars per truck. Most guys make sixty five, seventy thousand dollars 70000 is what they make. You know, mm-hmm. they struggle. They barely get by, you know, and then fuel goes up. You know, their number one expense, and that's going to kill them. But, you know, that's the part i think they were missing all those years i used to go to truck stops and my dad did this for us too we would make these cards they were four inches you know three inches of what width and eight inches tall and they're just a solid card stock and we had our own print and press and we would print these brochures be your own boss you know Mm -hmm. start your own business you know and we'd go in and we'd tell the lady at the fuel desk look where can i stick these brochures for the trucker it's it, we're going to help him get his own authority and get his own permits and all this stuff and they're going heck right here would be the best place and it may stay there for a day it may stay there for 6 months and truckers would call in and and they want to talk teach me you know mm-hmm. i got i'm sitting here for hours there's no internet there's no book they could buy that says here's how you do it all what do they do they talk to the next guy you know, so they go, oh, you got a better job. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to go work for you. You know, I'm going to be with your team. You know, it sounds like it's it's all this great stuff, but he still makes $70,000. Yeah. So what's going to really interest me is how the hell do you make a half a million dollars per truck? I mean, is this team drivers? Is this, you know, no, the truck no, never was, stops?
0: Well, <clears throat> I mean, obviously got to understand the market we were in at that time. Right now we're looking for about three fifty you know, in this market, which is down, well, it's normal, you know, for, you know, in a normal time, but hell, we haven't had a normal time in a long time. But um, I mean, by, 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 by five years ago metrics, the market's not all that bad right now. Um, It's flooded with too much capacity because everybody and their brother, uh, which happens when the, when the trucking market spools up uh, as it does every five or seven years, Um, and people see that money and they're like, well, I've got to go buy a truck. And they go buy trucks. They buy the wrong trucks. They buy, they pay too much for the trucks, especially in 2022. Mm -hmm. My God. Um, you know, people paying 200 and $250,000 for a truck. It's insane. So we did a YouTube video. I, I produced a video about a truck. My best friend bought. He made some money in crypto in 2020. Um, And he's like, I want to buy a truck. And I'm like, okay, well, I want you to find one less than $10,000. And he kept sending me all these trucks. And I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Trust me, you'll know when you find it. Well, he found one for $5,500. Had a transmission problem. Took our mechanic up there to look at it. Mechanic says, absolutely buy it for $5,500. We towed it to the mechanic's house. The mechanic had it for a few months. We ended up having $40,000 in that truck, including the purchase price. I put it in service in July of 21 and in July of 22, I ran a 12 month numbers on it. It was $450,000 gross, $315,000 net to the truck, you know, after Landstar took Mm -hmm. their percentage, uh, the driver made 90, Zeke made 45 and we made 48. There's $180,000 profit. So if one person would have owned it and drove it and managed it, they would have Mm -hmm. netted taxable income, $180,000 in 12 months. Now, do I expect a truck in 2023 to do 450? No, probably 375, 400, you know, if we work it. But one of the big things that we do is we work the trucks. We see, Larry calls it the Landstar Early Retirement Program. Okay. So you have your typical company driver, driving 3000 miles a week. And they know that there's money. They don't really completely understand how the market works, but they know there's money out there in owning a truck. And they're like, well, hell, if I own the truck, I wouldn't have to deal with this person and this person and this person and this person and all these people that they hate. So they go to Lone Mountain or wherever and they get a truck and, you know, and, and they do the math kind of, and they're like, well, I'm sure I can, I can pay a $2,500 a month truck note. So they get the truck and they come to Landstar. Well, Here's the thing about Landstar. Landstar is not going to push you. If you don't work, they're not going to call you and ask you where you are. Um, mm-hmm. Only if you keep their trailer idle for more than 10 days, they don't care. So if you do the average, which the Landstar BCO average is 1.7 loads a week, because there's mm-hmm. nobody telling them what to do. And so if they want to go home, they just go home. I got my truck. I'll do what the hell I want to do, and I'll go home. Uh, Or they sit around waiting for $4 a mile freight that's not coming. Uh, We do five loads a week. So we utilize these trucks, 120, 130, 140,000 miles a year. Um, But everybody's making money, you know, and that's what we're out here to do. We're out here to, to earn a profit. We're out here to deliver a profit to Landstarter, deliver a profit to Blue Ribbon, to deliver a profit Uh, to the truck owner and to provide the driver with an opportunity to learn this lunatic way of, of, of doing business that, that we do the master class so that in 18 months, they can turn the key off on our truck, get into their own truck, turn the key on, do everything that they did yesterday for us, now they do it for themselves, but now they know how to do accounting. They know what their fuel mileage is. They know what their fuel cost percentage of revenue is. They know what their maintenance cost is. They know how to pay their taxes. They know how to do bookkeeping and accounting. Uh, they know better than to walk in the accountant's office with a shoebox and dump it on their desk and run like hell. You know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: We're teaching people how to run legitimate, sustainable, successful businesses.
2: Well, truckers need that, man. They, you know, they, they try, they try. And I, and let me tell you, there's, there's a lot of damn good truckers out there that they work their ass off. They, they work on that truck. They keep that truck moving. You know, I've watched guys go millions and millions and millions of miles in a truck, you know, and they baby that thing. That is everything to them, you know, but the complicated part is you got all these rules, you got the regulations, you know, the states have enough trouble on their own understanding. Wait a minute, you just came from this state and now you're coming to our state. The rules are different. It's mm-hmm. like, how can you go to a guy that's, you know, that is educated? You know, he's smart, you know, he, he can do a lot of stuff. But now you're throwing at him all these years of regulations that, you know, we, that I'm, I've been in this stuff for 33 years and, You know, I learn stuff every day of things that, you know, I didn't know that regulations had that. Mm -hmm. And so how, how can you make money, deal with the regulations, you know, drive safe, don't, don't cheat your logs, you know, you know, drive the hours you should get your rest, but keep them trucks moving to make money. I mean, and that's the thing I don't, so many of them, they give up so quick because number one, money, Mm -hmm. you know, most of them, you know, they get out there, they get started, they go Buy that new truck. They get that insurance. They find that broker, whoever's going to give them the loads, and or they go to Landstar or somebody and say, "Come on, let, let let's make some money." But they don't understand what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. And and to give Landstar some credit, they got a lot of they got a lot of drivers. <laughs> they got a lot of trucks. They push a lot of freight through there. But it is they. It's the stars. It's those guys out there that work their butt off, but do it smart. You know, turn down a load because, you know, it doesn't make sense to take the next one. Don't just take it and and say, I'll figure out when I get there, you know, figure it out before you get there. You know, mm-hmm. think a little ahead. I love the episodes and stuff that you guys have that you talk about fuel. Yeah. Okay. And how much the trucking industry spends, it's the number one expense for a trucking company is fuel. No matter, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's the Tesla truck next. But the thing is, you know, the the fuel cost is is crazy out there and i've watched it go from you know a dollar 20 you know a gallon uh to four or five six dollars a gallon and it's like through my life i'm like how how did this happen and then you start realizing the mpg these guys get and how how much money they have to spend on this and it's like this is ridiculous uh we we created a website called fuel surcharge and it was created to help the drivers and fleets and even the shippers understand transparency you know here's a route that you took here's every truck stop on their route here's what their fuel price was that day so this should be what your surcharge is based off because that's your route you know Mm -hmm. and people you can as being a driver that's the one thing that i know you guys cannot predict is the fuel you know you cannot predict how much fuel sorry about It's the kids' school, call But, you know, the thing that I look at, trucking industry is not that difficult. It's not. If you go to the right team and you work with the right group that's going to educate you and show you the right ways and how to track your MPG, how to track your fuel, you know, how to look at things because, it, you know, two months, three months down the road, you do your, your IFTA and you file your tax, and say, well, yeah, heck, why am I only getting five miles to the gallon this quarter? Last quarter, I was getting seven and a half, mm-hmm. you know? Well, you should have looked at that months ago. You should have looked at that pretty damn quick. And there's easy ways to do that. There's very very simple apps out there and everything so else. So you'll, keep you'll track, love but,
0: this, you know, Larry being the numbers guy, when he first came to mm-hmm. Landstar, um, there was a deduction on his settlement for fuel tax. And he was like, okay, well, where's the, where's the breakdown of the, You just, you just pulled a number, well, where's the explanation? and they're like mm. oh well we have a we have an IFTA report we can give you well yes absolutely i would like you to give me that and he's like there and they're like well nobody ever asks for these right so every 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 month you know he does the the reconciliation uh on the trucks and of course we're tracking all of our fuel mileage and fuel purchases and uh, and fuel gauges so we already know you know we're we're trying to buy the 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 cheapest fuel that we can buy Um, but the fact that most people don't even know, and of course, if is the one conversation that starts more fights than, than, than liquor, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's all that difficult to understand, but boy, people can make it complicated and it's just not, but there, there are people, what we found in through training people. Um, and I think this is just a kind of an American society thing. People want a blanket answer so they don't have to think. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Okay, well, what I have to do is tell you why. And if I can get you to understand the why, the how then becomes clear. So I've heard, oh, well, only buy it in the low-tax states. No, 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 no. Only buy it in the high-tax states. And I'm going, (laughs) no. Get out the BSE 9000, the bullshit eliminator, and use a calculator and decide how to buy your fuel based on the price that day on that Mm -hmm. route in that state, Mm -hmm. make a mathematical logical uh, calculation based on information and then buy your fuel. But if you want just this blanket answer, well, I can't give you blanket answers because they don't work. You know, we, we try to reduce tolls when we can. Well, do you want me to run the toll road or not? No, I want you to do the math. Well, Mm -hmm. where do I find the toll rates? G O O G L E That's how you find the toll rates. Every mm-hmm. every toll authority in the United States has a website with a toll calculator on it. So, open your phone, go to the website. Okay, this this toll on this road on this day is going to cost $75. So, how much fuel can I burn to go around it? Do I have time to go mm-hmm. around it? Do I have to run the toll road because I don't have time to go around it? These are these are kind of very logical things but logic is not a thing that we do in this country anymore um and so you know we're we're trying to teach people the 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 why that gets to the how why do we work to save fuel it's our number one cost why do we buy fuel the way we do because you have to consider you know ifta and look at the actual wholesale cost of the diesel why do we right. do this why do we do that then you go oh, okay well that's why we're doing it so here's how we're going to do it
2: Yep. It makes a lot of sense. It really does, Chris. And I've watched more businesses fail, go out of business. A year later, they're back doing it again. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've watched guys have 15 authorities in 10 years and fail and fail and fail. And they'll get investors and, you know, they'll have the loads. They just don't know how to manage the business. And right. and you have to. It's, the money just don't come and, and not stop. I mean, you're going to have times that, you know, shippers just don't pay you on time. You're going to have problems where, you know, fuel skyrockets and you didn't bid the load right. And all of a sudden you're having to eat that difference, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and there's just a lot of risk that is on a owner operator out there to try to survive as a big fleet. So it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I've i really enjoyed the last 32 years watching the industry change so much because back then, you know, everybody said, oh, you're just a trucker, you know, <laughs> dude, yeah. you got to be, a, them truckers are a hell of a lot smarter then what you give them credit for. Mostly even those old guys, you know, they did things, they watched, they monitored, they, every time they get in that truck, you know, they write down that odometer and they know how many gallons they put in and they do that math and they'll say, well, I got this miles per gallon on this trip and they would compete. They will actually go out there and say, Hey buddy, what did you get last time on yours? Well, man, I'm up to seven miles of the gallon. How the hell did you do that? Well, I put this stuff on my trailer and, you know, hey, but you know what I did do? I bought better fuel. You know, mm-hmm. I quit buying the really cheap, cheap fuel out there because that's what it was, was cheap crap. You know, I learned to buy better. I learned to go in and negotiate. I mean, one thing that I learned through the years dealing with, I deal with every truck stop chain. They buy data from us to know exactly what their competition is charging for the fuel. You know, and then I take the data from them and I sell it to their competition, you know. And about 12 years ago, the truck stops came to me and they said, We need a better way to expose to the industry who we are, what services we offer, and everything. And so I started helping them build some technology to kind of, you know, put all your information in here, produce all these brochures, you know, let them know. But really, what they wanted was they wanted everything to be secret. They didn't want anybody to know they had the best apple pie there is in the world. Well, Mm -hmm. then. How are you going to get people in you got to tell them but over years they were literally driving down the road 50 miles 100 miles to get fuel prices and they changed four or five times a day at a truck stop so i mean to see somebody back then you know that really understood a business that survived were the guys that watched every penny the guys that knew exactly where they're going to stop and buy fuel they they estimated where they're going to be if they need to rest you know and they only took the loads that made sense you know and it it, to me You just got to have common sense, but you also have to get with a company or get with someone that has that experience because you're not going to learn this in a day. You're not, you know, it takes time and you're going to get aggravated and you're going to get frustrated. But if I think if everybody, it's kind of like having a kid, Mm
0: -hmm, I believe
2: everybody needs to be able to go to class and pass a test. Like you're getting your driver's license. You pass the test, then you get to have kids. That's what it should be about, you know, not uh, this trucking stuff. It's complicated. And you're going to put somebody in a 80,000 or possibly a 200 and something thousand pound missile going down a road. And and he's not knowing the regulations. He don't even know how to really drive a truck. And he's only been doing it for two months. You know, it's scary. It really is. Mm -hmm. Well, Chris, let me ask you, you know, you mentioned IFTA. When you look at IFTA taxes, why, you know, and and it's really cool that you you look at it this way, because when we came out with fuel purchase optimization in 98, everybody laughed at us. The trucker says, you can't tell me a better way to optimize. So we did two things. We said, here is your four places to buy fuel, the number of gallons to buy. Okay. And we're going to save you this much off the average along that route. But what we also did, we said, but here's every option you have along that route and all the prices, you know, and here's all their amenities and their services and they have McDonald's or whatever. But here's all the data you need, Mr. Driver. We got more acceptance because they wanted to look at that sheet. They wanted to make their own decisions of where they're going to stop. Why? Because there's rewards. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get a reward program. At some of these places, man, you can have a free steak dinner if you you know fill up or if you buy X number of gallons that may be worth a lot to him because maybe he's not paying for the fuel. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to IFTA, you know, can you explain why? Why is it that, you know, I should take the state tax rate away and look at the true cost of fuel? Why is that important? Why, you know, why not just buy the, the cheapest tax rate?
0: Well, you have to start with understanding that IFTA is, is kind of like your, your withholdings on your paycheck. Right. And of course we have people that, that want the government to take more from them every week. So they get a big fat check back in April. uh, You know, given the the government interest-free loans, but all you're doing at the pump is, is, is paying into the fund. That's all, that's all you're doing. But if you don't like Pennsylvania's, what is it? 74 cent now fuel tax. Don't drive in Pennsylvania. That's the only way you can avoid it. That the, Paying at the pump has nothing to do with paying that tax. So we always show an example of, we'll show two examples. We'll show, uh, (coughs) excuse me, Erie, Pennsylvania on I-90 and we'll show Kingsville, Ohio on I-90. And they're Mm -hmm. not 20 miles apart, but Ohio has like a 35 cent tax and Pennsylvania has a 74 cent tax. And I'll show that almost, not every, but almost every case, the actual wholesale cost of the diesel in Pennsylvania is lower than it is in Ohio, even though Pennsylvania has a 74 cent tax. But people don't, they don't take the time to understand that if you drive in Pennsylvania, you owe for every gallon you burn, not mile you drive, every gallon you burn in that state. So if you drive 300 miles in the state of Pennsylvania and you're getting six miles per gallon, you owe them for 50 gallons times 0.74. I can still remember when I was a little kid, um, I would see big trucks that had, you know, 16 license plates on the front of them. You know, they were cab overs and had all these license plates. Well, now I understand that the reason for that is because you had to buy a fuel permit in every state and they'd want you to get a plate. and then, If you drove through West Virginia, well, you had to stop and buy enough fuel in West Virginia to pay that tax for whatever um, gallons that you were going to burn while you were there. And so I have said that IFTA is pretty much the only thing government has ever done where they didn't make something worse, because now we just pay into the fund when we get fuel and they do the return quarterly. And of course, Landstar does it monthly, but you know the, the, the return is done quarterly. They take the miles you drive, divide it by your fuel mileage or the number of gallons that you bought. There's your fuel mileage. You drove this many miles in that state. You owe for that many gallons. Done. It's super simple yep. and super easy. But when you're looking at the price of fuel, you have to remove the IFTA from the equation because it doesn't matter. What matters is the wholesale cost of that diesel. You should be getting a discount. You know, Landstar probably has the best discounts in the industry. Um, But whether you're on NASTIC or whether you're on a a fleet card or whatever you're doing, you have to take IFTA out when you're looking at the cost of fuel because it does not matter.
2: And you talk about all those license plates back then, you know, and and I remember all this, Uh, you know, and every state you go to, you know, if the state didn't have reciprocity, you had to get a different plate for each one. And then you had to get the different decals for all the different fuel, you know, like you're saying, and a good example, Texas and Louisiana both have a 20 cent per gallon tax rate. And I know a guy that lives in Beaumont had a trucking company and he bought all of his fuel there in Texas, every bit of it. And he had his own, you know, tanks and everything in the yard. So he brought it in, bought a large quantity at a time, and he probably had a hundred, 200 trucks, but every single quarter. Okay. he, Showed a huge credit of tens of thousands of dollars that Texas owed him back. It took four quarters before Texas gave him his tax back. But Louisiana says, hey, ours is 20 cents too, but you didn't buy any fuel here, but you burned all these gallons. So you owe us mm-hmm. 10000 $15,000, whatever it is. Magically, it added up the exact same number of gallons that he needed to get back from Texas. But Texas held on to that money. For a long time, but you have to pay them. So for four quarters at fifteen thousand dollars per quarter, they had to pay Louisiana and wait for Texas to get them back that one quarter. It was a disaster. Mm -hmm. And so when IFTA came along and then IRP, it was how can we simplify this? How can we go out there and have one tax return? And I'll tell you, we used to sit there with calculators uh, and add up everything. We used to take the IFTA returns put them into, and that's different state returns, put them into uh, uh, an actual dot matrix printer. And we wrote a program that filled in the blanks for us in the end. But, I mean, we used typewriters. And that's how we filled out these things because you can't read all the handwriting all the time. And, you know, so we, and then states got sophisticated where they want to scan them in now. It just got to the point where you file 50-something returns like that across North America, and you're waiting for half of them to send you money back. If IFTA says, no, you're going to send me one check for the balance so you know if I owe you money here the state owes your money back it averages itself out and you're right at the end of the day what did you pay for fuel that's what matters do you want to put you want to save money today heck you know this is how you do it you want to save money at the end you don't want a big if to bill end in the quarter do what some drivers do make sure you pay all your if to tax but guess what you're going to spend thousands of dollars more than you would have yep but people don't they don't understand and it's complicated We, ProMiles, has a fuel purchase optimization module we've had since 98. You have IDSC, which is a TMW suite product that they've got out there that uh, does optimizations well, but I don't think they have that many customers left on it. And there's a Manhattan. That's it. That's the only true optimizers out on the market. And we've got tens of thousands of drivers that log in our online ProMiles. They put in how much fuel they're starting with, how much fuel they want to end with, what's their MPG, And then we do things we call absolute and preferred. I absolutely never want less than 70 70 gallons in my tank. But I'm okay having, you know, know, maybe, you know, 120 gallons. I'd rather stay like that. But I'm willing to go in between if I have to, to get to that next cheap stop. Mm -hmm. How do you do this in your head? How do drivers sit there and kind of figure this out? Most of them couldn't. And so we just said, here. Here's the solution. You plug in these things. You know, how much fuel you want to buy each time. You want to fill up every time you want to do it. You know, what are all the options you want to think about? But here's the biggest challenge. People optimize today when they bid on the load. And they say, well, this is where I'm going to tell my drivers to buy. Two days go by. They pick the load up. Two more days go by as they deliver. Those prices have changed all over the place. So if they would every day when they get up, say, all right, I'm starting new again. Here I am. Here's where I'm going to go to the end of the day. Where should I buy my fuel? How much am I start with? How much I want to end with? Because maybe I want to end with enough fuel to get the heck back out of California, you know. So I don't have to, or Pennsylvania, so I don't have to pay that tax, you know. Because then you have to wait to get that back. So, dude, I, I really, really, it's really cool to listen to people that have understood how complicated life was before, and that's where I want to ask you about the mile tax conversation. And I don't know how much you know about this, but IFTA cannot continue to take out of the general fund to pay for the tax uh, deficit that it has right now. Um, I don't think it's going to be that much longer, and it's going to have over $200 billion in debt because fuel tax just isn't paying it. So now you got electric vehicles. Now you've got other vehicles prepared by other type of energy that is not taxed well, wait a minute, MPGs are going up, they're not going down, you know, people are getting better at this. So the government kept saying 20 years ago, we don't have enough money to pay this. And so now Connecticut, uh, January started a mile tax and they never had a mile tax before, you know, but they need to find another way to collect it. And so we're either going to go back to the days before IFTA and file all these different tax returns all over the place. You know, or we need to take what IFTA's has done and uses a platform and do it that way. But now your next challenge, Chris, is this, you know, is it fair in your opinion that the government comes to every truck and says, give me your total miles you run everywhere. Tell me the total miles you run in each jurisdiction and I'm going to charge you a rate per mile. I'm not going to do a fuel tax anymore. What do you think about that?
0: Well, um. Being that taxation is is theft, um, it, it's I, I, if we if we, okay, we the people, are going to um, use the state as a uh, revenue collector and 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 distrib- distributor of funds to fund projects like roads and bridges. I think I would love for us to start with, how about let's stop wasting the money that we're collecting? Let's start there because we know damn well that the money that we are putting into fuel taxes is not all going to the roads. Um, they're, they're wasting it uh, as, as they do. Um, now, for the people that were raising hell about Connecticut and oh, I'll never drive another mile. Okay, well, what about, what about Tennessee? They charge Mm -hmm. ad tax. Oh, you didn't Mm -hmm. know about Tennessee, so you can't be pissed off about something you didn't know about. But now that you know about Connecticut, you're going to throw a hissy fit. Um, Look, the state's going to do what the state's going to do. It's a black hole for money. Um, The the roads uh, should be at the top of the list because it's something that benefits every human in commerce. Um, You know, if... If the state, and I mean like the West Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky, if the state is going to be in charge of the roads, then yeah, just let the state handle it. But of course, that's not how we do it. We've got federal grants and federal money and state money, and you got all this mismatch. And of course I live in West Virginia, which is the third, the, the federal government's 35 year old kid that won't move the hell out of the basement. Um, So everything we do here, I mean, my God, everything in the state has Robert Seabird's name on it because he was the pork king. You know, Mm -hmm. he could get all that federal money. And that, that other dude that was in Alaska, they were the two biggest pork producers in the Congress because they could put their name on something and fund a bridge and fund a school and fund this and fund that. And, um, the whole thing is a disaster that that's probably getting ready Without going too far down the rabbit hole here, but I I do want to say this out loud, I don't think that in five to 10 years, anything's going to look the way it does right now. And I don't think the state is going to exist as the way that it does right now. So I'm not a doom and gloom guy. Let me be very clear about that. Uh, I'm very optimistic about the future. I'm very optimistic about the market. I'm very optimistic about freedom and liberty and all this stuff. Uh, but the market innovations that are happening right now concerning, you know, currency and, uh, and all this stuff, it I just don't know that it's going to matter. They're going to waste the money. They're never going to have enough money. They're going to figure out new and creative ways to try to take it from us. So is it fair? Hell no, it's never fair. And it's not ever going to be fair. Um, but you know, it seems to me that they should be able to fund uh, the projects that need to be funded off of the money that they're already getting. But, you know, like I said the market innovations with, with more vehicles getting better fuel mileage, which creates less taxes. Now we have an interesting, I, I would love to hear you talk about this. We have an interesting problem. I guess you could call it here at Landstar. If you get more, then like nine miles per gallon, when Landstar mm-hmm. calculates your fuel mileage, they will put you down to four and a half. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got like Steve Crone, for example, um, has a lifetime average on his truck way over 10 miles per gallon. Um, I mean, it, it's. It, you know, they, they don't want people to cheat, but if you have someone like Steve that has put all of this time and money and effort into making his truck get 10 mile a gallon, well, his IFTA report should read 10 mile a gallon, not four and a half. Yep. Um, yeah. and it's been a challenge, you know, but as these trucks are getting better and better fuel mileage, um, y- you know, you can't just, you can't just penalize us and say, oh, well, I mean, yeah, I know you got nine miles a gallon, but too bad. We're going to charge you for four and a half. No, 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 no. No, we're not gonna do that. That's yeah. is the government pushing them to do that because they no. or they just want to do that because they don't want to get in trouble.
2: No, what happens is when you file an if to return, you file it with totals. So basically you're saying, here's what my total fleet has done. Mm. You divide up the total miles by the total amount of fuel. So you got these guys that are getting, you know, they they getting three miles to the gallon. Why? Well they're not turning in the or they're turning way too many receipts and they're not turning any trips, any miles. They're missing something. Something isn't adding up. But that three miles to the gallon is going to take that guy with 10. You get enough of them, it's going to drive it down. And so when you look at an if to return and say, well, I'm paying it based on a 6.2 miles per gallon because that's what my fleet gets. Those guys at nine miles to the gallon should go in and say, no, recalculate that tax summary using my MPG, not your fleet's MPG. I know that's what you're paying it off of, but why am I being penalized? Because I bought a better truck. I spent a lot more money on a truck, so there's less fuel that has to be bought. But now you're telling me I got to pay more tax than I should? More, This doesn't make any sense. But what happens is you do the math, you add up. If you generate it by each vehicle and you add it all up, it doesn't add up correctly. Why? Because you're only talking a couple of decimal places. And so because of that, it will never add up properly. And so to a fleet's benefit, they go, well, if I'm paying four miles to the gallon, uh, then guess what? That's what I'm going to charge you with. And that's what you're going to be penalized with. And so that's when I would suggest that you have a conversation with Landstar, with whoever the carrier is, and say, look, you know, this is what I'm getting. I would like to, you know, and show them that you understand what's happening. and." You'll be surprised how many fleets will actually recalculate it based on that unit's MPG, mostly if they've got a high unit. Why? Because what did you just do for the rest of the fleet? You brought their MPG up mm-hmm. because you had a high MPG. You've helped all those other trucks and all those other guys that had other, older trucks, or trucks that didn't get good, as good gas mileage. You're helping them, but you're being the one penalized. Yeah. And when you have an organization or, an, or a trucking company that's made up of so many owner-operators, it's hard. I know it's so difficult for a Landstar or any of these large fleets that you mentioned to be able to satisfy every owner-operator because, you know, some's going to win, some's going to lose. That's why you got to be smart. If you're going to lease your truck on to a company and you're going to give them a piece of Of what you're generating of the money then in my opinion it's a business deal you have a business relationship with that company and if their relationship with you is going to cost you money it's not beneficial change right go to another trucking company that will but just learn understand but there's nobody in the federal government that says you must do this no it's all up to the fleet on how they calculate it now to be fair to the fleet yeah i'm paying based on this mpg but oh, wait a minute, you know, you got to throw a little bit more into this than just saying, that's what I have to pay. So that's what you're going to be calculated by. And that's how they get away with it, because the government says it's OK. Yeah. Now, let me ask you something else. Um, you talk a lot about fuel efficiency and all that, and we talked a little bit about electric trucks. What do you think about an electric truck?
0: I think they're cool. Um, I, I, my, uh, we went to Gatlinburg a couple months ago for a volleyball tournament and I spent two days walking around Dollywood with a guy friend who's, who's in the EV charging business and he educated me a lot. You know, there was some stuff that I was, I needed to be corrected on. Uh, he took me for a ride in his Tesla. Wow. What a machine. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a just unbelievably fascinating machine that thing is. Um, I, however, am I'm not, I'm not cool with EVs, uh, when you consider the environmental damage that's, that's created through mining to get, you know, what we're going to have to have to create all these batteries. Um, so Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't believe them for a second when they say we're doing this for the environment. I don't, I think that's a load of crap. I don't think it has anything to do with the environment. Um, I think that I think that trucks, electric trucks, can be, um, uh. They they can be useful and they can be practical in certain applications. I don't mm-hmm. think they're practical for over the road. I think they they would be practical in a hub and spoke. I think they would be practical mm-hmm. in distribution point to distribution point. You know, two three hundred miles and back. Um. But I am—I'm really long on on blockchain and what the potential it could do to completely rewrite everything that we're doing. You know, I interviewed yep. a guy. Gosh, I don't know three or four years ago. It was a broker in um, Toledo, and he said, "I will not retire as a broker." He said, "The the broker model's over. We just nobody just kn- they don't don't know it yet." So. If blockchain does what I think it's going to do, I could be wrong. I'm okay with that. But if blockchain does what I think it's going to do and it's going to completely revolutionize final mile, I think it's going to completely do away with LTL. So all of these top heavy LTL companies that got all these legacy costs, I think, I think they're screwed. I think they're, they're out of business. They don't even know it. Um, I think it's going to change how freight's moved. I think it's going to make it 10 times more efficient. I think it will eliminate deadhead. So to me, individually and personally, I think electric trucks are kind of a distraction because I just don't think it's going to make that big of a deal. And even Elon Musk said that even if you stop producing internal combustion engines today, you're 25 years before you're all electric, you know, because you've got all of this, you know, you're you're not going to make gasoline, uh, diesel and natural gas disappear overnight. So I'm absolutely not on the uh, the thought process of oh we're in trouble the electric's going to replace us. I just, we're just not there yet, and, and I think we might be 50 years before we're there. I think they're cool. I think they're interesting, but I'm just I, I just can't get past the 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 environmental destruction that is coming from. Um, what we've got to do to the earth to get these batteries. So I'm not a fan.
2: Yeah, well, I'm with you on the, uh, they are cool. Cause, uh, my daughter has an M3 and I'll tell you when the first time I sat in her car and she says, dad, hold on, watch. <laughs> and she just punches it and it's got, you know, four motors on it. You know, each wheel, it's all wheel drive. And that sucker went so fast within a couple of seconds, we were doing over 60 and it's like. I have never in my life rode in a car that had that much G force or whatever that is that pushes you back. I mean, it's like, it scared the shit out of me. And then it scared me even more because I knew that she's out there driving this car, you know, and relying on this car to do things for her. You know, it's kind of scary. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we are, we're dancing around with, with things that, you know, when you start relying on a piece of equipment, making decisions, I mean, autonomous vehicles. Let's talk about them. Okay, now you got the electric. The next thing is these vehicles don't even have a a driver. You know, they're just going to go up and down the road. They're going to do everything. But guess what? They have to go through some of these back roads and within these cities, just like everybody else. So Dallas has an accident. It's on a major route there. And you've got these 10 autonomous vehicles behind you. And everybody stops. Well, the officer goes through and he knocks on each window and tells you where to go. And he gets to those trucks. It's like, do I call the number on the side of the truck? What Mm -hmm. the hell do I do? That's where the DOTs are very nervous right now. I mean, I can route a two million pound load for the DOT, but they're more scared right now how they're going to deal with a limousine, a taxi, a pizza delivery vehicle. How are we going to manage all of this autonomous vehicles going up and down these roads if we can't even handle the ones we've got? So there's, it's, going to be, it's going to be interesting to see. The battery piece, and this is the thing that really blew me away, I do believe, as you, that there is applications where the electric piece makes a lot of sense because, number one, they're going to start putting panels on top of trucks, on top of the trailers. They're going to make the windows. They're going to make everything just start taking in the solar to help power it. But if they don't, there's not enough power grid in this country to support the amount of power needed To charge all of them. However, you've got what scares me the most is what's happening. Well, uh, everybody wants an electronic car because my daughter pays no gas. She pays probably $20 a month, if that, for her home charger to charge when she's at home. She bought the Tesla, pre-ordered it, so she has lifetime charging. Mm -hmm. So there's no cost, none. She don't have to worry about doing anything but rotating their tires, basically. You know, that's about it. Now, those batteries go bad. That's going to kill us. But they're under warranty, for 300,000 miles. Well, let's see if they last, okay? Because mm-hmm. that's the part that scares me is those batteries go bad, and somebody's got to come up with twenty dollars or $30,000 to replace them. But yeah. in certain as- aspects, I think that electric truck going between 250, 300 miles You know, you get to the next place, you pull it in, you plug it up, you take the trailer off, another truck grabs it, he brings it on. But it is said out there it's going to take 1.7 number of the vehicles to be able to do long-haul trucking with electric than it can today with combustion. Now, there's uh, hydrogen. We can do that. Do I want to drive in a vehicle that has hydrogen? Bomb. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Boom. You know? Yeah. I, I I'm not a good driver. I, I wreck and no, that just it scares me. But I don't know what's gonna happen. But the thing that scares me the most is all these electric vehicles are gonna come. We're gonna be powering. The solar flares from the, the sun's gonna come, kill our grid. We have no power. So now you have all these vehicles sitting there that can't move. Okay. Then you've got all the vehicles left that all the people that are pretty smart will take and put their trucks up, put the cars up, and all that stuff, and hide them as long as they can. But then they're going to go, hey, I can go get gas. But guess what? The demand's different. So that gallon of gas is going to cost you $25. Then all of a sudden, they are forcing you to move into electric. They're forcing you to go to something new and snazzy that is just another way to figure out a way to generate revenue differently. And, I mean, I'm all for electric. I really am. I think they're cool. I think it's really neat. I think it's, you know, I hate smelling gas and diesel. You know, I haven't went electric with my truck because I hauled 4,000 gallons of, uh, of water behind it. And, I, you know, i got 5,000 pounds in the bed of the truck. Those electric vehicles just can't do that right now. Well, you know? I, but, I,
0: I made a mistake in 2006 uh, when it came to technology. Uh, my sister was dating a guy, and he was well off. He was wealthy and he bought the very first iPhone that came out. And if you remember, there was no subsidy. You could only get it at AT&T mm-hmm. and you had to pay like $650 for this first iPhone. That by by new standards, this that iPhone would barely turn on, you know? Mm-hmm. And I said these words. <clears throat> I said that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Nobody needs a phone that'll do all that. I've got a Motorola Razor and that's all I need. <clears throat> well, um I run my I can run the entire business on this. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I don't need a, I don't need a laptop. Yep. I barely need a computer. You know, I, I can, I went on, you know, went on a trip with my wife yesterday and I took my iPad with me and I can run the entire fleet. Everything that I need to do, I can do with that iPad. So I learned an important lesson there to never poo poo um, new technologies just because I don't understand it. Because as we now know, Steve jobs knew what we needed. We just didn't know what we needed. And he was like, Hey, here, have some of this. And we went and the world changed. Yep. So I know that if I, you know, if I start poo-pooing electric vehicles, we were like, Oh, you're just, you know, old and curmudgeon.
1: No, Mm -hmm. because
0: I'm, I'm, I'm talking about practicality here, you know, and to circle back, to part of the earlier conversation is one of the big mistakes that people make getting into business is they think they're the customer you're, you're not the customer. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nobody gives a crap what your truck looks like. All right. Mm -hmm. So you can go spend $250,000 on a big shiny long hood Peterbilt, and my five thousand dollar uglier than homemade sin freight liner will hook to that <laughs> kingpin just the same as yours, mm-hmm. pull that load down and back it into the exact same dock that yours is, and know the customer doesn't care because all they ever see is the inside of the trailer. so i'm just i just if 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 not for the state forcing money and R&D into electric, I don't even think it would be a thing right now. I think it would be something sci-fi deal that, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? But without government subsidies, Elon Musk doesn't have what he has today. And I'm not a hater of Elon. I think Elon's a cool guy. Um, I mean, he's he's a visionary and he's he's brilliant and he's all these things, but he wouldn't be anything without all of the subsidies. And And so yep. – I, I 100%, I'm a 100% believer in the market. The, if you look at human history from whenever the beginning was, a million years ago, a thousand years ago, whatever it was, human ingenuity and innovation always wins every single time in all of yep. human history. There, Matter of fact, uh, there has never, ever, ever, ever been a time in all of human history that the bad guys ever won. Ever. So when we're, but especially here in American society, we are pelted with fear 24, 7, fear, mm-hmm. fear, scary, train wreck, cloud, big truck wreck, 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 Ukraine, war, damnation. It just, it's just constant fear, 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 fear all the time. Yep. I can't base, I can't make decisions based on fear. I just, I cannot do it. I have to make, I have to base them in mathematics. I have to base them in logic. You know, I talked to a driver candidate the other day and, and, and he said, uh, well, you know, um, I'd love to come to your program. You know, just hope China don't. I'm like, dude, what the hell does China have anything to do with you coming (laughs) and doing a truck drive program? You know, I'm going to turn off the television. You know, uh, you're you're literally bringing China into a conversation about getting a job and doing a training Mm -hmm. program. I'm like, dude, I don't, I couldn't give a, I couldn't give a shit less about China or the communist party or this one or that one or whoever, because that to me, those are distractions that take me away from the focus on my customers. And my value is 100% built on my customers. And if I'm not serving my customers, I have zero value. So again, I think they're cool conversations. I'm I'm glad that we're playing with the technology. I think it will be very, very useful in time. Um, I, I've got some Milwaukee, uh, uh you know drills and impacts Mm -hmm. i mean that battery technology is i mean it's unbelievable 500 pound foot Mm -hmm. of torque and by pushing my finger it's amazing what we're doing with batteries um Mm -hmm. but i'm not i'm just not going to take my eye off of the ball and the ball right now is training our driver candidates serving our customers everything else is just noise
2: yeah well, we got to keep things moving. And talking about that, I mean, truck navigation routing. Oh God, help me! Let, let's 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 talk about you know that. I mean, and, and keep in mind here, and you don't have to hold things back. I, you know I've been doing mapping and routing for thirty two years, and every day I realize how outdated, inaccurate the information that we collect and we manage, and how dangerous it is for drivers to rely on this information to get from point A to point B. But what scares me even more is drivers that listen to a navigation, you know, whatever it is, and they literally go off the cliff. Mm-hmm. They they do not care what the sign is looking them in the face saying, you know, this height is only this big or trucks can't come through. You know, I got a big truck with a circle line through it. I mean, Duh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, but no, my navigation said I had to turn left here, but it said one way. I don't care. My navigation said I turn left. Yep. And so what's your experience and your, and your thoughts about navigation systems? Well,
0: everybody here in the Blue, Park, the Blue Ribbon Program learns very early on that if the words my GPS said come out of your mouth, you better hang on because you're getting an ash chewing like you've never received before. But I'm gonna go a little bit philosophical on you again here for a moment. The problem is not the technology. The problem is not the routing. The problem's not the mapping data. The problem's not the road signs. The problem is the appeal to authority. It's a logical fallacy. I've got a slide in one of our presentations that's got a it's like a, a referee at the football game and he's blowing his whistle. And and he says, We have a logical fallacy on the field. You are appealing to an authority uh that that is uh, perceived as an infallible expert. Okay. Ray McNally's not an expert. Uh Garmin's not an expert. Hell Google's not an expert. You are the professional truck driver in charge of operating that vehicle. Now I came from a time when none of that existed. I had a paper mm-hmm. map, I had a CB radio, I didn't have a cell phone, you know, break 19 Anybody ever heard of this place? How do you get in here? Well, you know, anybody got directions to this place or call the customer. Uh, but the it's not just that they don't know how to read a map. That's a problem. Uh, even yeah. had one of my guys came from a very large company to us. He was a trainer, senior trainer. God help us. And on the first load, I sent him, you know, to Pittsburgh. And I said, hey, man, you got some hazmat on here, so you can't run the turnpike because of the tunnel. So I'm, I've got my phone in my hand, and I'm going, okay, well, you need to turn here and turn here and turn here and turn here. Silence. Just, And I just got that feeling, and I said, hey, buddy, do you know how to read a map? He goes, oh, no, we weren't allowed to have maps. That's not a BS story. I've confirmed mm-hmm. it with other people. <laughs> New drivers, we are not allowed to have maps. Well, why Why would you not allow them to have maps? Because you want mm-hmm. them to be blind, blind, mindless robots that will do whatever the hell they're told and never ask any mm-hmm. questions. Just do what the box on the dash tells you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, there's some intellectual laziness there. Like you said, if it says no trucks, set the brakes. Mm-hmm. You know, if it says 12-2 and you're 13-6, set the brakes and call somebody. You know, Mm -hmm. but just continuing to drive until you have a convertible is not an Mm -hmm. option, you know, but dude, I'm, I've watched people. They'll follow that damn GPS to the bottom of the river and wonder why they're wet. Well, I don't don't know how I got here. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. awful wet, you know, and so I love, again, I love technology. I used a GPS as a guide, as a, as a tool, as a, as a Mm -hmm. reminder, you know, but I build the route. I look at Google. I look at a map. I look at what Ray McNally or Garmin, whoever says, and then I'm going to check that with Google or I'm going to check Mm. that with my Ray McNally Atlas. And then I'm going to pick the route and the, the GPS can keep saying, turn right, turn right, turn right. Well I'm just going to keep on going because I'm in charge, but we don't, we don't do a very good job society wide of empowering people to make decisions on their own. Um, you know, it's, well, you better do what I told you because I'm the authority and if you if you do anything different than that, matter of fact, this same guy that came from this company told us that one time he he was stuck in traffic somewhere, there was road was shut down. So he took a detour in order to make on-time delivery because he was going to be stuck in this traffic for hours. They fined him $50 for going out of route. Like what what are you trying to what are you trying to teach people? At that point, mm-hmm. you're a training company. This guy is a trainer. So I'm about to get in a, another rabbit hole, but <laughs> I, again, I love technology. I think mm-hmm. it, I, I always wonder why Google hasn't gotten into, I mean, can you imagine if Google just took all the truck data and put it in their stuff? Rand McNally would be out of business in 30 minutes,
2: yep. you know, well, but and for whatever you know what reason, they don't. We partner with Google. Uh, we actually use their tile servers or satellite imagery and things like that. Uh, we've worked with Microsoft, with Bing, we've worked with Apple and you've got here, you got, you know, a bunch of these guys out there, but you know, there's only about four of us that literally have been routing trucks with, you know, true mapping for years, uh, 30 something years. And I can tell you, it still isn't perfect. It's a guidance. It's, it's to get you where you're going It's to give you suggestions. And it's difficult to drive a truck and try to figure out where to go and where to turn. And I tell you, these navigation systems, they come in handy, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of like your wife sitting next to you. There's sometimes you just don't listen, you know, (laughs) you just don't, you know, because if you did, you know what's going to happen. And so you deal with the consequences later. And it's like, yeah, but baby, if I would have listened to you, I would have gotten in trouble because there was a cop right behind me. They didn't know about, but all right, you know, the federal motor carrier safety administration and the CVSA came out with this thing. It's called, you know, universal ID. Now, We had a podcast that uh, I think it went out last week, Uh, maybe it's going out this week about it, where we had a conversation with them. And the big thing is what's going on is CVSA is the guys that handle enforcement. They're the guys out there that, you know, are going to pull you over, you know, look at your truck and see what you're doing right or wrong. Their key is, is today they look at the side of your truck, they get a DOT number, they type in that number and they pull back This the trucking company. But what they really want to know is which truck in that trucking company is that truck. And there's a reason. It's not that I think in some ways people are going, oh, you just want to know everything about me. You want to know who my driver is. You want to know all my personal information. You know, you're you're digging for stuff that you shouldn't even need. No, what they're trying to do is they're looking at technology going, well, if all these trucks could talk to each other as it's going down the road, like this truck knew there was a problem, you know, coming from the other direction. Somehow tell that other truck there's a problem going ahead and and let them know before they even get there, you know. Let's let these things kind of talk to each other. So their thought is if all of these pieces of equipment, these trucks, you just send out a beacon, just boop, boop, this is who I am, this is who I am, and all it says is here's a number, a VIN number. Let's just use that. This is a VIN number. At that point, their system can automatically kit back to the office and come back in and say, this is who that VIN number is for. And based on inspections, this guy had brake problems for the last three months. Well, we're going to pull him over. Let's see if he got his brakes fixed, right? Versus going, well, let's just pull somebody over pull up your DOT number. And let's just start this merry game of uh, inspecting you. And, and, oh, I'm so sorry. You're just inspected 10 miles behind And I can't grab their inspection report. I can't go by that. So you're going to have to wait another 20 minutes with me. So I'd walk around and, and, and give you time that you don't have to wait for this. So to them, it was, let's come out with a universal ID for every piece of equipment, which you could say is a VIN number. And all I care about is which truck that is and what company it is and who owns it. That's it. That's all they want to know. Now, the federal government stepped in and said, wait, wait, you know, if we do that, we want all this extra with it too. And that's when things kind of got crazy. A lot of drivers came out and said, this is wrong. We're not going to do this. You're not, you know, I know that officer would really love to know who's driving that truck. But again, I think you're crossing a line here. This is not what we're looking at. So CVSA is really trying to find a way to say, if I'm going these rural routes, these back roads, and there's 10 trucks, by the time I type the first truck in, those 10 trucks are gone. And one of those trucks Whereas a guy that is about to kill somebody because he's out of his hours, he's always out of hours, but nobody's ever busted him. That small percentage of those bad drivers out there is what they're trying to catch. So what do you think about that? What do you think about the government wanting to know what truck in your fleet it really is? Do you care? Does that matter to you? Do you think they're crossing a line?
0: (sighs) There is a line between you know, basic constitutional Fourth Amendment protections, right to privacy, and being in, you know, uh, being in service, you know, being uh, operating commercially. Um, I think from the driver's side of the table, you know, I'm, I'm still technically a driver, even though I haven't, you know, I haven't hauled a lot of loads in the last couple of years. Uh, from the driver's side of the table, I'm going to tell you that I have been inspected three times in 11 years and my fleet probably sees four inspections a year and you know these guys these these trucks are running you know 120,000 miles apiece so um one of the issues here is I think there's a false sense of security uh about who's being inspected and how often Mm -hmm. because with three and a half the last number I heard was probably three and a half million trucks. Um, there's not enough DOT officers in this country period. Now let's be real clear. I'm not advocating for my DOT cops. Um, you know, I, I, I have a very jaded view of this because I see the big, um, you know, road check every year. And, and, you know, my response to that is, Hey, citizen, for three days, they're going to get all the low hanging fruit and flapping fenders that they can find. The other 362 days, you're on your own because mm-hmm. there's just not enough. I mean, I see the scales closed. I barely see, I mean, dude, I, I drove today from Louisville to uh, West Virginia. The cruising speed of traffic was almost 90 miles an hour. And I saw one cop, mm-hmm. you know, but I mean, they're just doing 85 miles an hour and they're passing me like I'm tied to a stump. You know, um, I I can get, I can kind of get where the bureaucrat is, is, is trying to solve this problem because it, I mean, it's a basic identification problem. Mm -hmm. Um, the Supreme court has ruled over and over again that, um, if you are being detained, uh, which you are in an inspection, uh, the, excuse me, then you are required to show proof of identification. If you're not being detained, you can really tell them to pound sand. Um, But that's not really the case when you're driving a commercial vehicle that's so heavily regulated as it is. So does the DOT cop deserve your uh, identifying information and your credentials? Yes. Okay. Um, Should they log that data in a way that if someone has been caught doing something before, um, we we get a little minority report going to where we can catch them before they before they do it. Uh, yeah, maybe, but I the the breadth of the, the the system, the centralization that it would that it would require um, to be able to to achieve that outcome. You know, well, let me get the bad guy before he does something wrong. Um, I just, I don't, I don't see that being practical and I don't see it working out. Now I see them spend a couple billion dollars to try because they're real good at that. You know, they'll, 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 they'll throw $2 billion into something that won't ever work. They'll do that every day. Um, I mean, again, let me, I mean, think about blockchain. I see a future where. A driver could roll up to a customer, bobtail, and scan a QR code on a trailer. All right. It's going to Newark. What's in the trailer? Don't know. It's sealed. Hook up to it. Drive to the customer. Geofence says, hey, you're there. Now you're paid. Mm -hmm. You get there. You scan the QR code. You never, you you know, somebody pulls you over and says, what's in the trailer? I don't know. Well, tell me. I don't know. It's none of your business. You know? I mean, it it literally could be so encrypted and decentralized that nobody knows where anything is at all. So are you familiar with a truck wreck yesterday or day before in Arizona? I think it was yesterday where there was a hazmat spill. Mm -mm. Okay. So somewhere in Arizona, big truck wrecks, and there's this orange hue coming out. And of course, everybody's on pins and needles because of the train derailment in Ohio. Right. And so some Twitter account, breaking news, you know, picture of the truck, the orange cloud, it was uh, some sign of sulfuric acid or something. What struck me was not the wreck. It was the responses in the comments. Well, how can they haul that stuff on our roads? Shouldn't that be in a secure military transport? Well, number one, it was 2000 pounds of whatever it was. Okay. Um, I mean, we, we, you and I know that 2000 pounds in a, Back of a truck's nothing. I mean, that's right. just nothing, nothing. I mean, yeah, if it's radioactive or if it's nuclear or something, it's a big deal. But in the grand scheme of things, two thousand pounds. But I haul stuff up and down the road every day with placards on, and our our motoring public is not aware, as evidenced by the all the I mean hundreds of Twitter responses to this. Mm-hmm. These people were b- absolutely beside themselves that a truck could be going down the road, carrying a hazardous chemical. Well, I get, okay. They don't know what placards are. We know why we have placards. The mm-hmm. government went to great lengths worldwide to standardize all of these placards and all mm-hmm. of this packaging and the shipper's responsibility and the carrier's responsibility and the driver's responsibility. And we're all on the same page and we're hauling hazmat up and down the road every day. Won't we'll think anything of it. You know, I put my placards on, I check my paperwork, I check my securement and I'm good to go. But the motoring public, they're clueless. They have mm-hmm. no idea that a very very dangerous chemical could be in that truck that they just cut off, mm-hmm. but they don't know. So, you know, I, I have a big chip on my shoulder about CSA twenty ten. You, you you know what that mm-hmm. is, right? Yes. Okay. I, I I got I got a violation. Well, I got a warning a few weeks ago. I took one load out to Kansas and brought a load back, and on the way back. It's so a Friday morning. I get up. I pre-trip the truck. I walk around, check everything, lights, tires, everything's good to go. I drive about 12 miles to an Ohio scale. He pulls me around back. He says, your safety score's low. I need to do inspection. I'm like, well, here here you go, buddy. Have at it? There's a permit book. There's a paperwork. I was hazmat. Yep. And so he does his thing. He checks my load. He checks my paperwork. Everything's going great. He's like, well, let's do a light check. I'm like, okay. He goes to the front of the truck, lights, brights, left, right turn signal everything he goes to the back of the trailer says left turn I hit the turn signal he says brake pedal I hit the brake pedal he says right turn I turn on the right turn he says right turn well right turn signal's not working so I walk back there and I said well was the midship light working he was like what he literally went what (laughs) and I said the light halfway up the trailer was it flashing because I'm in diagnosis mode I'm like why is this thing not flashing so I I go up and I check. And it's not flashing either. I'm like, this is a circuit. So I go to the pigtail. I unplug it. I spread the little pins apart. I plug it back in. The light starts flashing. I'm like, hey, problem solved. Well, I'm still going to have to note this. Okay, buddy, go ahead and note it. So he notes a warning. And I receive a $100 civil penalty from Ohio that I cannot fight. There's no court. There's no procedure. There's no due process. I get a $100 civil penalty. Well, the carrier does, but you know damn well. They're not going to pay it. They yep. passed it to me. Um, And so when I have had conversations with law enforcement officers along the way, I say, hey, man, how would you feel if I said, I don't want you to write me a warning. I want you to write me a citation. Well, well, why, why in the world would you want me to do that? Because I can go to court. I can mm-hmm. pay the fine. The judge will... Wipe the violation away, and there's no points. But because of CSA 2010, you give me a warning that I can't fight in court, and it Mm -hmm. stays with me until it runs its course. I see CSA, here's my conspirator, my tinfoil. I see CSA 2010 as a way for big corporations to violate expensive guys like me that won't turn the key on for less than $0.75 a mile. Violate me out of the industry so you can bring the guy in for 25 or $0.30 a mile. Well, he has no CSA points because he's brand new mm-hmm. and you're pushing me out and bringing them in because they're cheap while simultaneously screaming for the last 25 years, driver shortage, driver shortage, driver shortage, driver shortage. Hey, at least be honest. You have a cheap driver shortage. You don't have mm-hmm. a driver shortage. <laughs> if we had a driver shortage, we'd have a truck shortage and if we had a truck shortage, rates would be up, Yep. but they're not. Rates are down. Why? Too many trucks, not enough loads. Please stop this bullshit about driver shortage. It's nonsense. It's been nonsense since 1997.
2: I want to ask you one more thing. Go ahead. Let's talk about credentials, okay? Okay. One of your podcasts, you guys really hammered on, you know, if you're going to start this business, the first thing you do is keep your receipts. Learn to stick them somewhere. You know, take a picture. Do all this cool stuff because you're going to need that. Even if you don't know what you're going to need it for yet, you're gonna need it, and you need it fast. You need to be able to get it. So name them right, put them in drop zone. I mean, you know, your whole conversation made a lot of sense because that's where a lot of drivers fell. They get out there, they go on the road, they start moving, and then the end of the quarter, it's time to do your if to returns. and You're like, oh, what miles I go? Well, let me let me sit back, let me remember what we did, you know. And then it doesn't match what your log says. It doesn't match what your trip record was. Now it's impossible. You'd be doing 180 miles an hour. You know, now it's all messed up because you didn't just keep track of all the paperwork and everything you had. Well, what do you think about in 2019 in January, the federal government came in and said, we are now going to allow credentials for truckers to be electronic. We are not going to require that you have to have original documents for anything. Because, you know, you, 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 as, you know just as well as I do, I mean, back in the day, You made copies of the stuff, you get copies to all your different trucks, uh, your registration, all that stuff. What do you do? You get two copies from them, you put one in your truck and you keep it here. But what if you lost it? What if it got damaged? Well, you just make a copy, put a copy in the truck. Okay. What's the difference? Well, Today, the big challenge is is making sure people are legit, make sure people, you know, the shipper needs to make sure you have all your permits. The receiver wants to make sure the, you know, enforcement wants to. Now you have to turn those permits in because now you're going to order oversized permits. And, you know, you have to show them proof of these things. I mean, just so much with permits. So what is your thought about moving the industry to electronic credentials, your registration, your IFTA, your, you know, your hazmat, everything you can imagine? To be just on your cell phone so you can show them. And let me tell you, when we came up with this, it was right after they came up with this proposal and the law saying we're going to go electronic. We're thinking, well, how in the world can we do this? We always have the problem as a permit service. And that's what we always started off as. And we still do permits for people is you need your permit. You lost it. Well, let me get it to you. Oh, you left your permit book somewhere. Let me get all your stuff together and send it to you. And so when we did this, we did a unique part to it. We said, we're not only going to think about the driver and what he needs to do or what the shipper or the receiver needs, we're going to think about the enforcement guy because he wants that information. And so how do they get it today? Well, if you don't have it, then you get the fax number for the scale, if he's at a scale, and you, or you go to the local truck stop, you pull over and you have them fax there, you bring the guy here, here's a copy of my permit. You know What we did is we put a QR code at the bottom list and we listed all the permits this guy has. But if the enforcement officer has his phone or his device, his tablet, he could scan the QR code, go off and download all these permits. Now he has a true copy of all those permits in a PDF form or whatever on his device now. And at that point, you know, if something was missing, something was lost, the driver just opens his phone up and grabs it and says, here, I can just print it to my printer. I can hand it to you this way. But the government's trying to find a way to simplify this because Keep in mind, if they want to know who you are, the next thing they want to know is, well, what all permits do you have? Are you legal for this load or not? You know, are you missing something? And the amount of time taking to inspect somebody to go through their permits and go through everything takes a lot of time. The other thing is now you have to know, are they even valid permits? Are they even good? And so if you hook this with the safer system the government has, you can say, is this if the license been revoked? Has it been suspended? You know, without them having to look at a printout in the scale. So what do you think about electronic credentials? Is it something that drivers and that are going to need to to embrace? Is it something that you even want to embrace? I mean, do you like carrying around a big book with a bunch of paper in it?
0: Well, I I think this is something that blockchain is absolutely going to solve, whether we solve it now or not. It it, it will be solved. Um, I, I'm a big electronic record guy. You know, I hate key, I hate paper. You know, because like mm-hmm. you said, paper gets damaged, it gets wet, it gets lost. Um, now my, my friend, the civil rights attorney would cave my head in if I ever handed my unlocked personal phone to a cop. So Mm -hmm. that's a big no, no, absolutely not. Yep. I'm going to have a separate device that's, you know, for business, but you know, you don't ever hand a cop your unlocked phone
2: period, you know? Um, and you know, they don't want that either. The officers don't want to grab your phone. They don't want to touch it because now they hand it back to you and your phone quits working. Well, first thing you're going to say is, what did this cop do to my phone? So the right. last thing they want to do right. is touch anybody's device.
0: But yeah, this, it, it's, it's absolutely time. I was telling my wife today and it's so difficult to try to like, we have, we have three, three kids between eight and 16 and trying to, trying to explain some things to children born after 2000. is just, you know, <laughs> they just, they just look at you like that German shepherd, like uh-huh. what? Uh, yeah. But I still remember the days when I didn't have a cell phone, I didn't have a laptop, I didn't have a computer, I didn't, you know, if I needed to speak with another human being, I had mm-hmm. to park this large truck and find a pay phone yep. and use truck stop based fax machines. And, you know, nobody even thought of email. And at that time, we realized how convenient it was, inconvenient it was in real time. It's like, man, it'd be so nice if I had a device like that, you know? Yeah. Um, well, now we do. All right, we have these amazing devices. We do have encryption. We do have mm-hmm. the, the we do have the, the the technology exists that we can make some things available and other things not available. So yeah, I absolutely think this is a good move, um, so that I don't have to carry up my wadded up medical card, you know that again has been has been viewed by a law, law enforcement officer three times in twelve years. Well, it, you know, it's been in my wallet um, or trying to dig my license out of that godforsaken little plastic <laughs> thing that will never ever yep. come out, you know? Mm-hmm. So yes, I, I think this is absolutely something that we should be doing now, whether or not the state should be the ones in control of the centralized database. Yeah. Uh, not a big fan of the state having that sort of information, but if someone like you guys can connect people mm-hmm. together and make it available, then the question becomes, well, if you haven't paid the fee or if you're not in the group or you don't have access to that, then you're, you're on paper, which I guess some people will be okay with that. But I absolutely would love to anything to, you know, to, okay, here's my QR code. You know, I don't even have to roll down my window. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to know, you want to know who I am and what I'm hauling and do I have to scan this right here and then, and then walk around the truck and check it out. And otherwise leave me the hell alone. Let me go on about
2: my business. And and to me, I think that's what they need. They need to put a QR code on the side of the freaking truck, and you're done. Mm -hmm. At that point, it's encrypted. Nobody can run. You can't just use your phone and scan it and get anything. No, you have to have an enforcement device to do this, okay? And it's encrypted. The other thing is, is you are the guy that are going to click your phone, and you're going to click a little button, like a little square with an up arrow that says, how do you want to send it? Text or by email? You can put both in say, go. Here's the five permits I want to send the guy. Click it. Boom. Now the officer gets a bing on his phone and boom, or on his device. Now he's got all your credentials. Never had to talk to you one time. And we did this six months before COVID hit. Once COVID hit, all of a sudden, all these guys went, oh, you guys are crazy thinking about these credentials like this. All of a sudden, enforcement goes, I need your device now. Why? Because we got guys holding paper up to the side of the window so I can see the information because we don't want to breathe on each other. So electronic credentials are coming. They're the future. They really are. Well, Chris, dude, look,
0: I have a question real quick. Yeah. Does Alabama still require to sign with a red pen on permits? Uh,
2: hey, here's the thing. I don't know if on the Oversize Overweights they do that. Uh, I don't really think they do, but I know at one time that you used to have to use a blue pen in certain states uh, to sign certain permits. But now all those permits can be copied um, and yeah. sent by fax and stuff like that, and which very few people use fax anymore. But, you know, they come in black and white sometimes. Um, but they're trying to get things better because, you know, today in today's society, it doesn't take a 12 year old too much time to create his own, you know, report card. If he's uh, if he's got a few minutes and he can jump on his laptop before his dad gets home, I uh, so listen. I
0: I can testify that a sixteen year old nineteen ninety two could do it too. But I'm yeah. not gonna, <laughs> I'm not uh, I'm not going to confirm or deny anything. I'm just saying that that it could, it happened <laughs> back
2: then. Well, we, we we won't get in touch with your dad and let him know after all these years because if he's like my dad, he'll still whoop your <laughs> ass now. What you lied to me, right? Mate? Now you get ten times the spanking because what you did wrong. <laughs> Chris, first of all, buddy, I would love the opportunity to. Uh, work with you uh in the future on your podcast i'll i'll be i would love to join it and be part of some conversations you guys have and i mean i've been doing this a long time but believe it or not i was 19 years old when i started all this stuff so i was a kid um i fell out of a a dorm room in college broke 38 bones my body and thought i'd never walk again and three months later I was i was only walking i was running and so you know i always believed i could do anything and that's when my father-in-law looked at me and said you're going to go build a mileage guide to compete against Rand McNally. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, why not? You know, now you ask people who Rand McNally is, and 90% of the kids are going, who? You know, <laughs> ask them who Google is, Google Maps. And, oh, I know what that is. But, yeah. you know, the key is Google cannot route a truck. They don't know the right information to get there, and they don't want to take the time or effort to do it because it's not a big enough market. There's not enough money in it to them, they think. Right. But what are we doing? We're connecting these states. So, Chris, I would love to be part of it. The other thing is is i definitely going to want you back. We are – trying to get better at all this podcasting stuff and getting things organized. And I would like to have you on a call with some, with some of these state officials that we can get uh, some of the guys from IFTA and and have them. And you that's guys a terrible idea. Back and forth.
0: That's well, a terrible, that's the worst idea I've ever heard you have.
2: Well, you know, what's really cool about it <laughs> with today's technology. I ain't got to worry about you guys punching each other. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're on that screen and I'm on this screen. So right. you can get away with a lot. But yeah, that's Chris, true. I, I'm, um, I'm very, very happy to hear that there's people like you out there that, you know, you care about the other truckers, the other guys, because, you know, you know how hard in the hell it was to get where you're at. And, you know, if you, you know, and it sounds like all you want to do is help people. And and that's a, that's a great thing. And, and trust me, um, there's a lot of truckers out there. There's almost 800,000 fleets that are legal to haul freight interstate. And, you know, out of them, 90% of those have less than three trucks you know yep. and those are the guys that are busting their butt, you know, barely getting by, you know, trying to do things and they're the ones that don't even have time to read Google or anything to learn anything they can. They're just moving. They're trying to get the next load. They're trying to figure out why the other load didn't pay yet and how we're going to make sure we pay our, our utility bills and oh, by the way, insurance now going up on the truck because now you're traveling too much in Houston. I mean, it's just so much to deal with. It just it's it's complicated, but I'll tell you without the truckers, we wouldn't have shit. Nothing. I mean, these wow. cool little mics we got, you know, having the uh, rum mojito that I'm drinking here. Uh, you know, it had to be brought here by somebody. And trust me, I live in the mountains in Colorado. And when the snow comes and things shut down and you don't have your toilet paper still, it's a problem. And, and But I'll tell you what, I think every trucker I see out there that takes their time to go over these passes to get me toilet paper. I do. Without them, we wouldn't have crap. You know, kids don't know what it's like growing up, you know, not having anything and, you know, begging, oh, man, I would love to have that new things, you know, this new box of cereal, you know, they're coming out with, well, yeah, you don't have it down there, you know, up here in New York, we've got it, you know, well, oh, shit, why can't I get it? Well, now just go to Amazon, order it, buy it. You can yep. have anything you want. So Chris, again, thanks so much for, for jumping online with us and being part of this. And, um, you know, again, I would love and and enjoy you to come back and I will, put you in a position where some of these guys, because I'd like to to raise the heat a little bit because that's what I do. I like the public and I like the private sector both. And I believe if they understood each other, there would be a lot less conflict because at the end of the day, it's safety. It's what everybody wants. That's what you want. So that's what the government wants. And they want you to be profitable. You know why? The more profitable you are, the more tax they're going to take from you. So they want you yeah. to be profitable. They know we have problems, parking trucks. They know we have issues and they're trying to work on some of them. But at the same time, we got a lot of shit to do. We got to keep that freight moving, no matter if there's a COVID or not. You got to move freight. So, Chris, I appreciate appreciate you, my friend. And thanks a lot for jumping on this evening with us.
0: Absolutely. Had a good time. Thank you for having me.